Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome to the Woo Curious Podcast, your map to the mystical, your key to the sacred, and your guide back home to yourself. I'm Eileen, a writer, a spiritual coach, energy healer, and slow living witch. And I'm Ellie, a sacred sensuality facilitator, a spiritual coach, and an anointing priestess. This podcast is your invitation to explore a world where the mundane and the sacred intertwine. It is a haven for those ready to take the first steps into the realm of magic and mystery, providing a safe space for you to embark on your own enchanted journey. Here we'll unveil the whispers of the mystical, the rituals often hidden in plain sight, and the ceremonies that will stir your soul. We're all about demystifying woo and witchcraft, making these ancient practices accessible to all. So whether you're a seasoned seeker or simply woo curious, we are here to guide you on your path to self-discovery, healing, and empowerment. So join us as we light the way and invite you to rediscover your true essence. Hello, welcome back, Woo Crew. It's Eileen and Ellie. This week, we are going to be chatting about some tools, sacred tools that you can use in your practice. And we're definitely going to be chatting about Halloween because tis the season. Tis the season is right. Do we want to dive in with a little recap of what sacred tools are? Sure. Yeah, that seems like a good place to start. Okay. Allow me. So sacred tools are these tools that we use in our practice. Just to clarify, we don't need to use all the tools. We're literally just putting tools in a toolbox. And for whatever reason that we want, we take them out to use for different things. So last week, we spoke about our spirit guides. And that is a tool that we have in our toolbox that we can access at any point. We are going to talk about tarot and oracle. We're going to talk about altar building and then also we'll be talking in the in the future we're going to continue this this chit chat on sacred tools with things like smoke cleansing or even anointing or many other things that we can use in our practices the benefit to using or to building your toolbox with these sacred tools is that depending on what it is that you need at any given time you can access them so it's kind of like going to of course, your toolbox, but I want to think about this in terms of food. It's like going to your fridge. It's like, oh, today I really feel like mm, Macintosh apples are really in season right now. And they're my absolute favorite. Please let me honor the Macintosh apple for one moment. <laughs> Go get yourself a crunchy Mac. And then the very first bite of your, of your Mac is the most floral. Like you can literally taste the apple flowers before the apple is formed in that at least first bite. I can taste it in every bite. And it's the most delightful thing ever. And so sometimes I'm like, I want a Macintosh. But sometimes I'm like, I also bought a grapefruit this week. Sometimes I want a grapefruit. Sometimes I want some ginger and lemon juice. And so depending on what you feel like, and I think this is a good opportunity for us to even talk about intuition, depending on what your intuition is telling you, you have access to be able to use these tools at any given time. So it's good yeah. that we build our toolbox. I love that way of describing it because, yeah, if you feel like you have to use all of them at, on every day or 
even at any given time, it's overwhelming. There's so many. So just like with everything, it's picking the ones that call to you or resonate with you. And then even among, you know, you can narrow it down. You're like, okay, I'm going to work with tarot. Well, if you've been doing this very long or you followed this path very long, you probably have multiple decks. <laughs> so it's tuning in again to that intuition and knowing which one you want to work with for a specific practice in a specific season of your life for the year on a specific day. It really just varies. So get curious and tune into your intuition and decide how you get those nudges or indications and listen to it. This is a perfect way to practice following your intuition too, because like you can't, you're not going to cause any harm. You're not going to do something wrong. Like if you pick the quote unquote wrong deck, nothing's going to happen. No. You might not get quite as clear guidance from it, but it's not like a big life decision. So it's a great way to practice and to let yourself be right. And I think it's also good to mention here that you can use multiple decks at the same time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which is, if I've got a foreign... big thing going on, I'll be like, I'm going to pull seven and ask a different question of each one. <laughs> this feels good here. This feels good there. Yeah. I remember the first time a friend of mine used multiple decks and I literally was like, hold up. I'm sorry. What are you doing right now? The Virgo in me was like, we don't, we don't play like this. (laughs) And they were like, yeah, we do play like this. And I was like, okay, but can we keep them in order? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think the first person I saw like laying out spreads with multiple decks was Chris Corsini. Actually, he used multiple decks in some, some of his bigger readings. And I was like, oh, Oh, yes. (laughs) Love it. Love it. So shall we're talking about Oracle. Do you want to start with Oracle then? Tarot Oracle? Oracle. Yeah, sure. Let's start. Let's start with Oracle and Tarot. Well, Oracle first and see. Oracle (laughs) then Tarot. Let's talk about the difference actually between Oracle and Tarot. Let's start there. Great place to start. Yeah. That's a perfect place to start. I think that uh, often I refer to all of it as tarot and it's sort of like the overarching umbrella of what it is but tarot and oracle are two different things tarot is your traditional rider weight smith deck so it's your like ace of cups your ten of swords that's your tarot deck and there's a few spin-offs actually i have quite a few different um uh, decks that are like the traditional but are very much different than the traditional and this is just another way to use them. I have a, a great deck from, I'm looking at them right now, from this company called The Threads of Fate. And they do a queer-friendly tarot version of the Rider-Waite-Smith deck. So that's your traditional tarot. And we should clarify for people that the Rider-Waite-Smith <laughs> deck, it's structured, right? You've got your you've got your major arcana. There's a set number of cards in there. You've got your minor arcana, which is like what Ellie was saying, you know, ace of cups, three of wands, and it's a set number total in the deck. And so there's people who make their own interpretations of it and there's lots, but if it's called tarot, it's likely based on that deck, which came from like, it's old. It's what the 1800s or something. Oh, that's a good thing to look up. Actually. I'm not sure whenever, how old is right? I can look that up. Yeah, please do. I know it's old and I know it's like, well, and it's dark. The original deck is like, it's she nasty. Yeah. <laughs> She's mean. It's, yeah. She'll serve it to you. I'll tell you that much. Find that little piece of information for us. I am. Yeah. Lots of really great symbolism in this deck too. Like yes. old symbolism. Yeah. 1909. Wow. Really? 
yeah first it might published. also be worth saying that a lot of oracle tarot readers also read playing cards like 52 playing cards yes. as part of their as part of a reading as well like how fun is that it's very cool like you can use anything yes and then do you have any other tidbits for us about the the tarot deck Mm, oh interesting the original version is public domain in all countries that have a copyright interesting wow. okay yeah you can read tarot Anywho, ancient lots of symbol symbolism in there and the imagery in the deck was influenced by the 19th century magician and occultist eliphas levi wow interesting wow okay Cool. He is the first in the teachings of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Yes. Yes. Which is, there's a version of this still around. Oh, I should talk. That. We should talk about that one day. Not today. But let's talk about yeah. let's put that. In, <laughs> let's put a pin in it. Pin. Okay, let's talk about Oracle, which is actually what I read most often. I have tarot decks. I love them. But Oracle is my jam. And Oracle is really symbolic are you looking up oracle right now can you please wikipedia oracle oh, but i can yeah okay. so, so oracle is not in the tradition of things let's say it can be many different things in a card deck and some of the oracle decks that i have are a magdalene rose oracle i have an archetypal oracle from kim Kranz. she does a bunch of oracle type cards I have Magdalene manifestation cards. I have tarot or oracle after dark cards, erotic <laughs> tarot. I have our animal spirit cards. All of these fall under the oracle. And oracle is just the symbol of something. And let's even go as far as to say the symbol of something magical. And we use our tarot and oracle in very similar, if not completely the same ways. Yeah. Unlike tarot, oracle cards, their meaning, I mean, often they're archetypal and very symbolic. And so they're linked to meaning that way. But the creator of the deck creates the meaning behind each card. There's no structure around how many cards should be in a deck. So with tarot, it's 78. With oracle, I have a rose oracle that's 25. I have others that are like way bigger than that. So there's not that kind of set number of cards. And often they're thematic, I find. Whereas tarot follows that, you know, each card has a meaning. Everybody kind of interprets the meaning differently. There's different decks that give you kind of slightly different readings, but there's an underlying meaning. Like every ace is a, a new beginning. And then the suits, the suits kind of have their overarching meaning. So you can start to, when you see people reading cards for people, anybody who's well-versed in tarot could pick up any tarot deck and do a reading for you, but they might not be able to do an Oracle reading if they're not familiar with the deck, because you can kind of learn what the tarot all means and read the cards accordingly. Whereas with Oracle, if you haven't worked with that deck before, you'll get some from the symbols, but if you don't know the deck familiarly, you won't know what each card represents. Right. I also had somebody present to me this really beautiful, I read cards for this woman actually, at my nail salon. And that she had brought up some cards with her that her mother gave her. Her mother reads Oracle, or her mother reads tarot actually. And so she 
presented me her cards that were all plant medicines and she's an avid gardener and they were they were beautiful cards but again <clears throat> your familiarity is deck by deck mm-hmm. when it comes to yeah. the oracle cards I also want to say with when reading tarot this is a good thing to kind of transition into when we read tarot and oracle there's many different like spreads that you can do that I think we can touch on in a minute but you really read them for the symbolism of the card. And so the card itself, I think, because we get in our head when we start to read tarot, what I find when people come to me and they say like, hey, I love reading for other people and therefore please come to me and book readings and or anybody else. But it's it's not about what you don't know the cards very well. It's that you just need to open up your intuition to what the potential meaning could be. And I also think that if we stay in the box of the book, sometimes we're missing the meaning of the spread of the cards that we're actually reading. Yeah, I actually really like that. Uh, My first tarot deck, I've mentioned it before here, I think, called Homebound Tarot is the name of the deck. And I really love that she says that before you open the book ever like lay the cards out and look at them engage with them look Mm -hmm. like what do they evoke how do they make you feel what symbols are you picking out what do they mean to you without actually looking and what do they mean in relation to each other so there you know there's figures on these cards are they looking at each other are they looking away from each other so the way that the cards interact in the spread that you've pulled can inform your reading as well and only once you've kind of engaged with them that way should you move to the book Mm, it's brilliant Mm -hmm. yeah I love that let's talk about spreads let's talk about oracle and tarot spreads do you have any favorite spreads that you do I don't often do big spreads. I usually turn to either the book and some of the recommended spreads in there or often for full or new moons, I'll just Google like new moon and Leo tarot spread and look at a bunch and pick the one I like. But I do pull cards most days and often I'll just pull one one card spread like Mm -hmm. what's for my highest good today. I've taken to pulling a card for each day of the week on Sunday. So ahead of the week. I did that this week and then I listened to the Chani horoscope and I was like, oh my God. Spot on. <laughs> Mirror image. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, that was cool. Chani and I um, like this. Yeah. <laughs> but the other one that I, I that I know off the top of my head that I do like doing is like past, present, future or obstacle and removing of the obstacle. What's the word I'm looking there? I do past, present, obstacle, ally mm, like the ally one. that is going to help us I guess remove the obstacle <clears throat> that's yeah. a popular one for a four cards spread and I think probably the one of the most popular ways that people pull cards are past present future and the one a day or the one yeah. whatever the issue is like what do I need to know where am I yeah yeah I think that you can also ask whatever you want and pull as many cards as you want like Let's go in the box. Let's step in the box for a half a minute and let's go away. Let's bl- blow the doors off the box and and just say, you can do and you can do whatever the heck you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's something, again, referring to Chris Corsini, you know, he'll be pulling cards on a question and he'll get a card and he'll be like, oh, can I get some more clarification? And he'll pull another card or two to clarify. So sometimes you pull a card where you don't mm. 
understand what it's trying to say, you can pull another to clarify what the message is or the meaning is mm-hmm. combined. They give you a bit more depth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I often ask for clarification, either through that and my pendulum, which we'll talk about pendulums in the future, or just by an additional card. Like, wait a minute, what else do I need to know? Okay, is this, mm-hmm. wait, there's still more. There's still more there. I like to do big year spreads for my birthday. So my birthday is coming up at the end of the month. And yeah, it's going to be a good day. And so I actually do a wheel of the year pulling on my birthday, which is New Year. Okay. Yeah. We just have that information for the next part of the year. I also love to do a New Year's Eve or New Year's spread of the 12 to 13 months of the year. And so we have information about what to expect each month. Yeah. Yeah. I did that with some girlfriends this year. We pulled three cards from one deck as kind of like a overarching, what do we need to know? I can't remember the question we asked for those three. And then we used the archetype, the Kim Kranz archetype deck and pulled a card for each month. That's one of my, it's probably the deck that I use the absolute most. Actually, I just got the Magdalene Rose Oracle, which is by the, the priestess vocalizer, the priestess school that I'm in, the mystery school that I'm in. And she created it and just published it not too long ago. And it it's just like, it's, it's made its way to the forefront of a lot of what I do. It's interesting how the decks cycle through, right? Like you have your yeah. favorite and then something new comes along. And you're like, oh, okay, no, I'm going to just only focus on you. And then there's decks that you buy and you realize you don't like at all and they just stay on the shelf. They do. I have a fairy deck like that. (laughs) A fairy deck? Do you have a deck called fairy? No, it's a, oh, it's called Foraxa. Foraxa? Foraxa. It's like got umlauts and X's and stuff in it. And I loved the art. I I think it got advertised to me on Instagram, like before I even started this journey as my luminous life. And I love the art and I bought it. And the book is just, it's too mean. I get mean messages from, I don't like the top. Oh, it's it's a dark, it's a dark deck. It's a dark deck, which I think is why I love the Rose Oracle so much because it's so soft and sweet and delightful and velvety and comforting. Oh, velvety. (laughs) Yeah. In our lives, more velvet right yeah. I have a few decks that are are like abrasive and so I use those for very specific things and those are often are are the the cards that I pull like okay I need I need one card from here my full moon I do use a, a an abrasive deck sometimes around the full moon because it's like the shadow work of like okay what do we need to actually see here like you know I am all for the velvet and velour do not get me wrong and yeah. sometimes there is a distinct purpose for that cutting energy if you will that deeper and darker energy that shadow work as you say that I'm like I should probably pull out that fairy deck yeah. <laughs> one of my first decks somebody gave to me because I have a Brian Froud tattoo of a fairy of a pressed fairy and so Brian Froud is the illustrator of the fairy deck I mean of course he is and he just made this beautiful deck it's just it's just gorgeous and somebody gave it to me a really long time ago and I loved that deck for a very long time I coveted that very deck for a very long time they knew something that I didn't know at that time that was a long time ago that they gave me that deck right and for our listeners who are like I don't know who David Froud is I feel bad about that don't I don't know who the heck he is either oh you don't know who Bro- oh let me tell you who Brian Froud is oh my gosh pull up a seat oh my god his name wrong even <laughs> oh yeah pull up a seat so Brian Froud is the other half of illustrators from with Jim Henson for 
the labyrinth. Oh. And I yeah. personally think that Jim Henson and Brian Froud, if you are listening, are you guys still alive? <laughs> if you ever, if you ever listen to this, either in the afterlife or in present moment, <laughs> that's one thing that I should really check. Because I think Jim Henson was sick at one point and he might have passed away. We need to, we need to fact check this. I'm checking. I'm checking. <laughs> so Brian Proud, uh, I think Brian Proud and and Jim Henson took some mushrooms and went to Yellowstone National Park and came up with the idea for the labyrinth. I, this this is the unwritten behind the scenes for the labyrinth because when I went to Yellowstone literally like I, I went to the eternal stench there's a thing at Yellowstone that is like the sulfur pools and there's another feature I don't know if you call them a little thing you continue traveling on the path to and it was mm-hmm. called dragon's mouth and it just was like this really phallic slurpy sounding kind of cave with water that was hot like it's just so weird and the sulfur pool is just this like yellow stenchy and it keeps like bubbling up and stuff and I'm like this is the eternal stench like this is the pool of the eternal stench from the labyrinth and I also confession time thought I was gonna marry David Bowie at one point but only if he was wearing those tight little pants and his hair in his like full queer glory of the labyrinth when I was a sweet sweet baby child that was one of my favorite movies and so I just became obsessed and then what happened is that I went to a friend's house and found this book called Lady Cottingham's Book of Pressed Fairies and it's the story of this this little girl who entices fairies onto her book just like come here little one and then closes the book on them them. and squishes them and so I have a pressed fairy on me because this is a book that I, I literally read that book and I was like I know that this is supposed to be false but this is very real like I know this is a story but this is very there's some truth here my like Celtic roots are coming out and so I was obsessed with that book and Brian Froud is the illustrator of the book and then he wrote a book on gnomes and it just like became this thing that Brian Froud has had a huge impact in my life so maybe I had talked about the labyrinth because I just love the movie and maybe I had I don't know what but this girl in one of my yoga teacher trainings bestowed me with this Brian Froud fairy deck which is so mystical and so like but so real so potent and it has all of the different fairies and some of the fairies will sting you and some of the fairies are sweet and velvety and just come on over here come snuggle up next to me and so (laughs) I love that deck it's just it's lovely for anybody else if you are a listener and you have used the Brian Froud fairy deck please let me know so for all of our listeners and Ellie Jim Henson passed away in 1990 so 20, 20, 33 years ago. Yeah. Okay, great. Brian, um, but Brian Froud is still alive. Brian Froud is still kicking. Or excuse me, Jim, RIP. Jim, we love you. Wherever you are. <clears throat> Brian, stay strong. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you and for I'm looking, looking at his artwork. It's beautiful. It's very beautiful. That was a fun rabbit hole. There you go. Thank you for, for doing that. Thanks for doing that yeah. for us. 
Anything else that you want to say about Oracle? Any other ways that you use it? Oh, I want to say this. I use it for business all the time. I literally use it for business decisions all the time. For any other entrepreneurs that are listening to this podcast that are woo curious, use your Oracle, use your tarot. What's my next move? Is this the right thing? What do I need to know about this offer? Should I go to this networking event? Like, you know, what's in store for me? Those sorts of things. So use your Oracle, your tarot to provide some answers for you so that you have some insights as as to what's going on. I know that I use it a lot whenever I'm offering new things. Is this the right direction? What else do I need to know? And it gives me excellent content ideas for whatever it is that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't often use it for really specific questions, but I should because I do, I get the sense that I could get more out of it if I did. I'm always thinking about business, like always. That's all I think about. Could I please turn my brain off for a little while? (laughs) So when I pull cards for direction or guidance, it's always with that at the forefront. So I'm always interpreting them in like a for my business lens or nearly always. Okay. My human design says that I should be a specific manifester, as in I do better if, or I will manifest more readily and easily if I'm really specific about what I want, what I might ask is, the details, all that. I struggle so hard to get specific. So the same happens when I'm using Oracle or Tarot. I struggle hard to ask really specific questions, which is why I think I like looking up spreads for things like moons because somebody else has done the the creative thinking piece or like Ah. together the energies of the moon or the energies of the season that we're in I don't have to like think about what fits I can just go pull somebody else's and I usually read like five or six of them and kind of cherry pick the, the questions that I like and mash them together so it's relevant to me but yeah how else do I use them not not for much else sometimes just for like a lot of guidance before I hired my one-on-one business coach earlier this year about six months ago now I was having a a pretty like low dark time and I just went out into my front room which is a sunroom it's only habitable for three months of the year because it's either too hot or too cold happened to be a good temperature sunlight streaming in and I pulled cards from like five of my decks looking for just some guidance, some help, some support, some anything and got some really good clarity then. So it just, however you feel, like if you're feeling stuck on something, it's a great way to just get a bit of direction or guidance. And what I love about it is if you hate what it tells you, then you just, you just had a knowing that what it's telling you isn't for you, right? Like I saw a meme or a gif go around of white girls shuffling their oracle cards and pulling a card and be like oh no and like throwing it away till they got one that said something they liked and like oh my don't discount <laughs> you know if the message isn't what you were hoping for but it settles in your gut as a like oh shit it's right then it's right but if you pull something and you're like that really doesn't resonate that doesn't jive then it's probably not the card you were meant to pull so again trust your intuition totally trust your intuition i love this So what else do we want to talk about today? We have a couple of options for different tools written down. Is there one of the two that is pulling you more? Yeah, I want to talk about altar building. Okay, let's talk about altar building. It makes sense. It's a favorite of mine. The oracle and the altar building are probably the very frequent things that I do here, here in headquarters, if you will. 
mm-hmm. here in the cabin. I'm gonna I'm gonna just talk generally about altar building and then we're, let's get to some specifics with this. Okay. Sound yeah, good? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm, uh, I talk all things altar building for sure. We had a whole day on this in my Unleash Your Inner Witch course. So I started actually. Uh, let's start with story time. I started creating pojas, which is what we call them in our in in yoga, which is just a place, a surface, if you will, to place murtis and items crystals figurines anything that are symbolic of maybe where you are or where you're going in practice and that sort of morphed for me or continued for me in the lineage of yoga that I taught a shiva was the most predominant murti that we had as a symbol at the front of the class but we could use anything I absolutely associate or align with Hanuman, which is another Murti and Ganesha. And so you can, you can have any sort of symbols that you want. And as I progressed into building altars for myself, it's sort of the same concept. It's totally the same concept of it's a surface where you place items that you wish to honor something. And that could be you, that could be a specific archetype, it could be a deity, it could be a a parent or a grandparent or somebody in your life that has passed away, or many people who have passed away for that matter, we're coming up to the honoring of our ancestors, we're not coming up to, we are in the honoring of our ancestors right now. And so it's just this, this area that you can place items that you can go to as a focal point during your day. I'm trying to use the most plain and, and non-specific words. And that was that was a challenge. I was going to say, for people who are like, oh, that sounds, you know, woo or witchy or out there. Think of any kid who collects like cool oh, rocks yeah. or seashells. And then they put them with their little china figurines. And there's that space in their room. That's an altar. That's an altar. It can also... I honor the seasons with mine. So it's less about honoring a deity or a uh, ancestor, although we'll get into who and what is on my altar. But that is the other thing you can do is just it can be a pretty place. I love the word focal point. It's a focal point for intention and practice. That's exactly what this is. And we just come back to like, this is because you are a moss witch. Fold <laughs> <laughs> into, into the moss, into the forest. So your altar can have a couple of different things on it. We've just talked about honoring um, either a deity, a loved one, a season, any of those things. You can also place things like, I just want to say there are ways that intentionally you can place things. And there's also just put stuff wherever feels good for you, wherever it feels good for you. So you can place things in terms of the elements like earth, fire, wind and water as it's pouring outside right now I should have I was distracted by the water that I was in it in that exact moment so it could be any of those things it could be that you place things in terms of of seasons again these are part of the elements winter summer spring and fall you can place things with a focal point as the center or at the very back and everything in front of it or everything around it. You can use sacred geometry as in circles or create mandalas with with petals, with flower petals. Or little pebbles or stones or crystals too. Yeah, like on yeah. a crystal grid. A crystal grid. Oh, I love a crystal grid. You can also place things like a, 
altar cloth down. So I have a couple of different altar cloths that sometimes I use to tie up my oracle cards as well. But that altar cloth could be for a long time, my altar cloth was a piece of lace that my grandmother had made. Again, all of this is just symbolism for what we want to focus on or what we want to honor. Yeah, that delineation of sacred space. That's what the the cloth or the um, piece of material or something is really nice for. But you can also like, my, my altar's on a bar cart. And so it's just the whole top of the bar. Well, now it's more than the top and it's there's herbs all tied around the edges anyways. But like having that delineation of the sacred space is the first kind of step. Cleanse the space, delineate it. But it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be out in the open. I know people who have multiple altars through their houses, you know, one in the bedroom to help with sleep and promote dreams, one by the front door to bless people as they come and go. But I also know people who keep like a tiny one in the back of their underwear drawer because they're not out and comfortable having it out around their family and the people they live with. And that is just as potent and powerful and useful a tool, no matter where it is, what size it is, how much is on there. It could be as simple as a candle and a pretty rock on your desk where you work. And you bring the intention is that at the end of the day, an altar is all about the intention with which you build it. And so you can imbue the most simple little space with that kind of intention of being a focal point for your practice. I love this. Brief pause that none of you got to hear, but Ellie had to go out and unflood her house. So (laughs) it was a flood here, people. I live in the Pacific Northwest and today was one of those days. So I'm trying to remember exactly where we left off, but I think it was with my chatting about how it doesn't matter how big or small your altar is. It doesn't matter if it's out invisible or hidden away, like it's the intention that matters. So we'll wrap this, this altar chat up a little bit with talking about the types of things you might choose to put on your altar and specifically in relation to the four directions, the elements, that kind of representation, because obviously you know that if you put a picture of your grandma on, you're probably representing your ancestors, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. what do the other things represent or what kind of staples are included in lots of altars? So I'm going to speak from my lineage and my point of view here. So right now, In the mystery school that I'm part of, we have a 13 moon cycle. And so one of the things that we do each moon cycle is change the frequency of what we're in. And so right now we're in the priestess frequency and the priestess frequency has an essential oil that's associated with it. It has a color associated with this deep sapphire blue. So my altar has changed from the frequency of prosperity where we just were, which is our green, into blue. Any blue crystals that I have, I actually just purchased a new pinite to go on my altar. And I place them in in certain ways. So I place them for me, there is a center of the altar and everything else is around the altar from there. The, or- the priestess is associated with the oracle. And so there's oracle cards on my altar. I keep a plant up there because I'm really into having like living green things to remind me of nature and how connected we are. And so I actually have two plants uh, on my altar right now. I also have an a full oracle deck box by Ariel Spilsbury that is the 13 moon oracle 
deck that is it's it's big it's it's weighty and so it's up there right now and I have some flowers because of course some roses of course the the priestess loves to be adorned and so Mm -hmm. she will have whatever beauty she wants uh and in the middle I have an image of a fierce priestess that I just it's just it's like this is what this means to me nice I love that yeah. Yeah. I, as I said, I changed my altar up with the wheel of the year ceremonies. So that means I refresh and reset and change it eight times a year, roughly. I take everything off, I clean it and then I shift. And so the most kind of common thread with mine is representing the four directions and the four elements. And those are tied. I think we touched on that yeah in the cyclical living episode we talked about how like north is the element of earth and so I usually have plants of some description dried or fresh depending on the season and then the east is represented by either feathers or incense usually feathers because they hang out (laughs) and incense you light sometimes or not and then in the south it's it's fire and so that's always a candle candles are really common on altars of all descriptions And then in the West, it's water. And I usually represent that just with an empty vessel. Sometimes I'll fill it with water, with moon water or something, but sometimes I forget to refresh it. And then it's just a really like evaporated, hard water crusted (laughs) vessel. So I tend to only refresh the water when I'm actually working with it. And then it's intuitive for me. Sometimes I place the items in the directions that they correspond with, but often I just make it look pretty. So whatever is appealing to the eye and then crystals whatever feels like it wants to be on there gems rocks anything like that I found a bee like a dead bee in the summer so I I put him on there he hung out Lunasa is associated with bees so that felt fun I've got a bone that I found out behind my place a deer bone that's on there that would be connected to the north and the ancestors and animal allies and stuff so just kind of fun playful whatever strikes me to add but in in the themes of the wheel of the year I love this so these are two really good examples you can place literally anything on your altar I just I have in my head like make altars sacred again Mm. you know it's it's just find a place yeah that you can place in your home that you can gaze at I am one of those people who have crystals and and altars set up all around the house because I love that sort of thing like I just really love adorning my home with beauty and so it they are they're all over it's not it has spilled out from my from my coven room from the den to everywhere else in the home and I also want to mention candles are very important to me as well I burn beeswax candles and so I like to get them from the local apiary or somewhere that is special to me and again we're just setting intentions like we're just I'm gonna go find some candles for my altar I'm gonna go you and I talked about spell candles I only like beeswax really and so I'm going to go find some beeswax candles because there's lots of spells, candles out there that are non-beeswax. So it's really the intention that you're setting. It's really the intention that you're setting with what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody's watching any of these clips, you'll see that I clearly my bookshelf is also a bit of an altar. It is. It definitely <laughs> is. Me. 
It, uh, yeah, I've always done that with my bookshelves, even before I realized what I was doing. I always had those like special trinkets and knickknacks and things to make to make it pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and because it is October and we are moving towards Samhain, altars honoring the dead or our ancestors are particularly relevant and that's kind of why we wanted to talk about this today it's a great time to create an altar for your ancestors or add photos of your ancestors to your existing altar you could write them letters and put them on your altar all sorts of ways maybe maybe you bake their favorite food and add a piece of that to your altar during this time there's all sorts of ways to kind of incorporate them into your altar work as we as we move through this veil thinned time (laughs) at least dogs are having having a struggle it's a full storm out here right now so you may or may not hear some thunder in the background on this recording But I love what you said about baking things or making things or bringing things forward that are, for this time, my grandmother's pumpkin pie recipe is just like, it's a coveted pumpkin. It's seriously the best pumpkin pie recipe out there. Oh, I need it. You obviously need it. I just bought a sugar pumpkin. Perfect. And so the, the recipe card goes on the altar out in the kitchen because it is it is needed it's just we're bringing this energy in forward and there's also a pumpkin on the table right now so so and they're they're little sugar pumpkins they're ready to be made into a pie but for those of you that don't know canned pumpkin is hubbard squash i've never liked canned pumpkin well lots of people do but also who knew why are you calling it pumpkin who knew (laughs) yeah interesting i bought a hubbard squash two years ago we bought like Mm, I want to say Greg dropped like $300 on gourds and pumpkins to decorate oh, with. <laughs> yeah. Necessary. Sometimes. It was it was wild. That was the year that we decorated the house and nobody came. I, we recorded that, but I'm not sure if we actually aired it or if that was like our little extra recording bit. We're going to have to we're going to have to cut that up and and put it out there as some as yeah, some behind sure. the scenes material. Yeah, bonus footage. So let's continue uh, to talk about Halloween since we're here. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. So when this episode airs, we'll be very close to Halloween. We have a week left until Halloween. Tell me about your favorite Halloween movie or movie around to watch around Halloween. Mm, Yeah, I was I was walking over to a friend's on the weekend and I sent Ellie a voice message because I was like, oh, I don't want to forget about this movie. Sleepy Hollow. I love Sleepy Hollow. That's a good one. It's a wonderful. It's a, it's a wonderful one. Yeah. I'm not a big, like, I don't watch a lot of movies and I don't rewatch a lot of movies. Halloween was never like a movie time of year for me. I've got some movies associated with Christmas and Thanksgiving, but yeah, that one jumped out to me for sure. That, and I really love Nightmare Before Christmas, which kind of is a Christmas movie, but also. Yeah. Is it a Christmas movie? Is it a Halloween movie? Who knows? It's both. It's both. It can be both. <laughs> I also love How about you with your favorite. I love a nightmare as well. We didn't watch a lot of movies. We didn't, I don't remember like having a tradition around movies uh, in Halloween for us either. And mostly because I grew up in a household that, that valued a lot of like outside time. That sounded very cryptic and creepy. I just mean that my father was like, get out from in front of the television and come work outside, come work the land. And so we often were just outside and doing things. 
And uh, so I don't remember a specific thing around Halloween when it came to movies, but later on in life, I definitely got into watching more movies during Halloween. And I would say later on, I would say two years ago. (laughs) And my partner loves movies and has watched all of the movies and will watch any movie over again, pretty much. And so she suggested that we do like 30 movies and 30 days for Halloween or 31 and 31. Although we will not be watching movies. Well, we'll probably have them on in the background as we prepare for for kids to come to the house. We have not been successful in watching 30 and 30, but we have watched quite a few. And I realized that one of my favorite Halloween movies, not even Halloween, one of my favorite movies to watch around Halloween is definitely The Craft. And The Craft is pretty dark. But it's also super witchy super and I I had this realization I was like my teenage self watching the craft definitely was one of the characters we can decide later which one I was it's just so overtly spell and like witch practices also known as rituals sometimes and it you know I think that there's this moment in the craft that things really turn like for the audience things really turn around and there's that distrust of women who practice magic and Mm -hmm. I think that this it becomes scary for us but if we look past that just a little bit we really start to see that that magic is just because it feels so big and so powerful. So I do really like the the craft. I also 100% probably the reason we haven't gotten through 30 and 30 is because three times already this month, I've watched Beetlejuice. <laughs> you know what? I watched Beetlejuice for the first time ever in the past year. How did you spend your, your, your life not doing Beetlejuice references? I don't know. My parents wouldn't let me watch it when it was like oh. out because it was too scary mm-hmm. and creepy and quite adult. Actually, I don't blame them now watching it. Looking back, I'm like, yeah, no. Uh, and then I just I just never did. It, it's very strange, but I've seen it now. Yes. <laughs> so don't at me. <laughs> no, no. Uh, come on. Let us know if you've watched any of these movies that we've mentioned, actually. We would love yeah. to know. And if you have a favorite Halloween movie, tell us. I want to add it to my list of things. Also, caveat, you're welcome to add scary movies to the list, but I will not be watching them. I was going to say, neither will I. I am not a fan of scary movies. I have watched, like, movies. I pull whatever is near. It might be my coat when the, I've made the mistake of going to a movie theater. It might be the person next to me. It might be whatever. But I'll have it up in front of my eyes the whole time (laughs) just like no I don't want to I enjoyed what was that one it was like a spoof cabin in the woods cabin in the woods I enjoyed cabin in the woods it was funny it was there was a few jump moments but it was funny so I did like that one but generally speaking no scary movies not for me I have not watched cabin in the woods might still be too scary for me I would say like Nemo is scary for me like when he loses his dad sad tell us why we carve pumpkins oh yeah that's a fun one so last episode we chatted about why we dress up which comes from ireland and the celtic lands of of hiding from malevolent spirits and pumpkins also come 
from our Irish friends. A lot of them came over to North America, especially the States. And they have a myth about a dude named Stingy Jack mm-hmm. who made a deal with the devil and then reneged on it. And so when he died, he couldn't get into heaven because God was like, no, you're a piece of shit. And then he couldn't get into hell because the devil was like, screw you, you you backstabbed me or I don't remember I don't know what it was he did. You're a piece of shit. And so he wanders the land. And because at Halloween time, Samhain, the veil is thin, he's much more present. And so the Irish peasants started to carve turnips with scary faces and put tea lights inside of them and put them on their doorstep to scare away Jack. Now, when they got to North America, pumpkins are native to North America. They're a little easier to carve than turnips. They're bigger. And so the carvings became Jack-O-Lanterns. That's where that name comes from. That's why we get the name Jack for Jack-O-Lantern. Wow. from Stingy Jack. And yeah, they just, they carried on the tradition here, but with pumpkins instead of turnips. I love this. And I also love, so there was some turnips that were carved in my family. My grandmother used to carve them. Like this is, the tradition has been passed on is what I'm saying. And it was not, not all was lost in all households. And I will tell you that a turnip, when you've carved it more than like a few days before the, the All Hallows Eve, that shit's scary. That's as scary as the old costumes. I can With imagine. Like I would... Paper bags and no, no, no. That is that is what nightmares are made of. Yeah, it did. a little less robust. <laughs> Definitely yeah. creepy for sure. That's yeah. hilarious. I love that. I love when yeah when I found out and put all the two and twos together. I was like, oh, that Jack. it makes so much sense. Jack Lantern, old Jack. <laughs> What a guy. Yeah. Uh, any any folklore, anything else that you want to share with us? I know that, that you love that. You love that sort of thing. I think those are the ones that I know well enough to tell, like, off the top of my head. I mean, dressing up and going door to door. So the dressing up piece was to scare away evil spirits. The dressing up and going to do- door to door is something called mumming. So mummers would dress up and go door to door and sing or do tricks or whatever for food offerings often. But that's not specific to Halloween. That happened around Halloween, but it also happened at Christmas. Think about carolers going door to door, singing for alms. So that was just a, a common tradition throughout Europe and at various festivals. So those Wheel of the Year celebrations, again, would be times when people might go a mumming. It's actually still a common practice in Newfoundland. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They have a different tradition there. Mm-hmm. Also, we've lost the trick of the trick-or-treat. Entirely. We have lost. And sometimes I would go to houses whenever I was in my youth, and we would say trick-or-treat. And the person would say trick, and I would be stunned. I would be like... Do what I mean, give I me my candy. Yeah. But do I get the chocolate bar? What is it? You were you were speaking to that in the last episode when you're talking about like entrepreneurship. Like <laughs> that is me. that is like that is legit. Yeah. Blackmail. <laughs> yeah. It. Exactly. Under threat of punishment, give me <laughs> candy. 
what are we teaching our children nowadays? My goodness. I don't know. Do you do you have any favorite Halloween memories? I have. Yeah, I do have a couple of favorite Halloween memories. What I really remember was how excited I was as a kid to go out for this day. Like people love Christmas and they get so excited about Christmas things. I think my level of excitement for Halloween was at the level of how excited somebody gets for Christmas because I don't have that level of excitement for Christmas. The the anticipation of choosing your costume and putting that effort into it and really going with with a with a with a group of friends that maybe were in your school district or out of your school district. I live in the country. Everybody was out of my school district. And so it was an opportunity for us to come together and to see like the delight and to see how people expressed themselves. Maybe this is why I love drag so much. Because this is like Halloween every day. And you get to go and perform to, you know, in in costume that makes Mm -hmm. you feel like who you are. This is the similarity between drag and, and and Halloween. So yeah, just the anticipation of of how excited I was to be able to to dress up in my costume and to try that persona or archetype on for a night. Yeah, for sure. That's that's like a memory, like a core memory is just the like the background. Yes, I, there was some times where I really had fun with who I was trick or treating. I remember when I was in grade seven or grade eight. You know, we went to the bigger town and trick or treated, and just like I, I got a literal pillowcase full of candy. Where before you had like a quarter of a pillowcase because when we were teenagers or young teenagers, we always brought a pillowcase with us. I loved that I spoke about my mom making candy apples and I talked to her this week and I said, you know, they don't have very many trick-or-treaters now, probably just anybody who might have children that are in like our friend circle, my little brother's friends, those sorts of things. And so they come over and they know ahead of time. And so my mom will make the candy apples or the popcorn balls for, for that amount of kid. But just this anticipation and and truthfully like yeah it was great it was so great to have your candy and to come back and to reap your wares like what did I get paid but Mm -hmm. I just wanted to dress up again the next week I know yeah I'd say that like very similar experience for me of just feeling free in that expression like you couldn't be ridiculed for being too weird or too oh, out there or having were, funny hair you're <laughs> touching on something that is so important this is this is exactly it this is when we get to try on this new persona and be accepted immediately mm-hmm. yeah it's a huge piece that was definitely like the core of it I've said over and over like I love dressing up for any reason for all reason please throw a costume party for every occasion I love it I have a couple very specific memories of Halloween that I was thinking of when I was prepping for this episode. One of them, I was in a costume. It was such a good costume. I was a clown and I painted my face and I had like this like tinsel wig. It was great. Anyways, my uncle didn't recognize me. And I remember just being partly like, Uncle Ted, why don't you know me? And partly like, oh my God, I'm totally incognito. Like my own (laughs) uncle doesn't know who I am. And like, we live around the corner. I see him every day. 
that was a really interesting feeling and a fun, a fun memory for sure. And I also remember the year where I began to prefer the suckers over the chocolate. Wow. Shift in the last couple of years, like right when I was on the cusp of maybe being too old to be trick or treating anymore, but just milking the last little bit of time. I remember getting my, my bag of candy home which was the same bag every year it has like a it's like silvery plastic bag with reinforced handles with like a haunted house image on it I still have it so (laughs) I would dump out my bag and I do remember the year I think I was in grade nine so like really that was the end of (laughs) trick-or-treat but all I wanted was the suckers that was probably the same time when I was obsessed with hauls I would just buy like the black hauls and suckle them all day so the witchiest haul you could get i'm gonna take the black hauls please i will have the like are you sick no i'm not no i will eat a whole pack in a day for my soul yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah i really enjoyed having a sucker to like clearly just an oral something to be doing to keep me focused in school but the chocolate didn't do it for me i I have no idea what you're talking about it's i've never experienced that this chocolate or nothing. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was for me for a long time. And then it was like, no, actually, I love chocolate still, but really just coffee crisp or like dark chocolate. Chocolate bars in general are way too sweet for me. Way too sweet. On this note, favorite, I'm glad that you're bringing this up, favorite Halloween candy. Those Halloween kisses, you know, they've they've got like an orange and black. Do you know what this is? And it's like, a, like this toffee weird something inside it's chemical it's a molasses candy is what it is yes yeah huh I love those I love them my teeth want to fall out when I eat them and so usually if I can find one around Halloween like it's literally a single one around Halloween then I will eat a single one because I love the taste of those and I think the question we should all be asking is, are we a fan of candy corn or not? Terrible. Disgusting. (laughs) It's gross. How? Why people? Why would you do that to yourself? Why does it even exist? This is a controversial. I'll put a poll up on our Instagram when this episode goes live. Why? Why does, who invented candy corn? Why would you think, why would you think that was delicious? It's not delicious, but I love the look of candy corn. Oh, it's beautiful. So if you make a cookie out of candy corn colors and shape, I will eat that. If that mm. if that cookie had candy corn on it, I would pick the candy corn off and not eat it. I think this is the <laughs> same thing for for Easter. Like who eats those peeps? Come oh on. God, they're bleh. oh they're terrible. Don't do that for why no. why is this chemical? There's a taste of chemical. Uh, it's like a marshmallow, but worse. Yeah. Oh, I love a marshmallow. That is not like a marshmallow. That is like an, I don't know what, with like grit on it, like sawdust, sandpaper on it. You know, why would you do that? Uh, Candy corn is the greatest Halloween debate there is really. It is. It's very, it's like toilet paper with the like over or under toilet paper roll over under. There's only one right way. There is. (laughs) For every household. (laughs) We're staring each other down. Yeah. I'm like, are you over? We're, you're under? we're over. I'm over. We're over. Okay, good. We agree. 
Uh, I'll never forget. There is a friend of mine who said uh, her and her partner got together uh, later in life. And uh, she said, there's only, <laughs> I remember thinking to myself uh, afterwards, like, I wonder what she is. I've only ever really been to her house once or twice. We don't live in the same area anymore. But she said to me, when we got together, there was only two things we needed to get straight. I don't remember what the first one was, but the second one was how the toilet paper goes on the roll. And I literally was like, how does the toilet paper go on the roll? Because I think maybe my my partner at the time and I that we were together for 12 years, we just always did it the same. Yeah. Those under people. You can't, it's like, it, you, you can't, can't see it. nearly as much of it. You can't get it. So when I was growing up, the debate didn't even exist because the toilet paper roll went perched on top of the empty roll. Leave oh. it of course <laughs> but of course my uh, goodness yeah yeah I'm not sure if Greg's an over or under like I think he's just a whichever way it happens to be on like he doesn't check before he puts it on and so because sometimes I have to change it and sometimes I don't <laughs> oh I I live with somebody with ADHD like there's there's never once half the time you would go to that washroom and there's no toilet paper there and I want to know what are you what are you wiping with oh no. and maybe you're just strip drying that's fine that's fine. But there's there comes a time where you're going to need something. And so yeah. 90% of, no, not even, 110% of the time, I'm the one putting the toilet paper back somewhere in the bathroom. Right. Yeah. Okay, we've we've gone a long way from Halloween to toilet paper. Yeah. However. Here we are. Come I back. trust that you are all entertained. <laughs> and we're gonna loop back around and chat about our offerings before we wrap up hey yeah let's do that, at what, that time? Yeah. what do you have on on deck for us obviously the most glaringly obvious thing is that Sawin is coming up so when you are listening to this it's gonna be in person if you're in Calgary on Friday or Monday online for a ceremony we're going to come together we're going to talk about the history all of this all of the good juicy goodness about Sawan and we'll do some releasing some calling in some burning all of that kind of jazz so that's on my website I also have still this offering of soul council sessions. So it's a 45 minute session. It's about a 30 minute process with some time to debrief at the end to connect with your soul council. So your panel of spirit guides, as it were, to ask a question, get clarity on something. If you're needing direction, you're feeling stuck, you need a little bit of comfort that's there for you as a little tasty treat this month. And I've got my wait list open for my Unleash Your Inner Witch course, which you've heard me reference a few times, talking about altars and such. That wait list has some bonuses, which I don't know yet, because at the time of recording, I haven't decided them, but <laughs> they'll be up and available for you to know what they are on my Instagram and my website and links there for both. And you. What do you have? Wonderful. You've got you've got a real full roster of things for us. I got all sorts of stuff. I have my human design offerings that are going deeper. So we're going to look at the channels, the gates, and your profile specifically in the four areas of family. Well, starting off with you, yourself, 
family and family dynamics, relationships and lovers, and then career. And so you can, you can book a session with me through my website and you can choose two of those areas that will focus your gates, the translation and the interpretation of your gates, your channels and your profile for those areas. And I also have a Scorpio season workshop coming up on October 26th. And this is really everything I'm doing right now is how to untame yourself, how to decondition yourself. This is untaming your wild. And we're going to go into a full Scorpio season ceremony for the evening. And it's going to be, it's going to be juicy and hot and it's going to be dark black. And yet with some light whiteness being shone on as it is right around the full moon. So you can sign Mm -hmm. up there on my website as well. We'll pop the links Mm -hmm. below. We sure will. As always, thank you so much for joining us, Woo Crew. Mm-hmm. We love recording these podcasts for you. So please, if you like this, go ahead on over to our, wherever you heard your podcast and leave us a five-star review. Let us know what you think and let us know if you have any questions. Mm-hmm. I second all of that. Have a fantastic week, a happy Halloween weekend, and you'll be hearing from us the day before actual Halloween, but a lot of the celebrations will have happened before. So we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks, Woo Crew. Bye. Hey, Woo Crew. This is Eileen popping in at the end of this episode to say that from now until the end of the month, so October 31st, Samhain, we are going to be running a little giveaway. If you post a photo of your altar with the hashtag make altars sacred again and tag us at the Woo Curious Podcast, you'll be entered to win a one card tarot reading from Ellie and a mini energy healing from me. Happy posting. Thank you.